Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to follow along inside the text, you can find a fully vowelized PDF of the DAF at www.batshevalearningcenter.com slash DAF. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are moving on to DAF Chavkimel. We're actually going to start with the beginning of the Mishnah. That's um, at the end of Chavbez and Mabez, and then move on to Chavkimel. Okay, yeah, so uh, towards the bottom of Chaf Bez Amad Bez, Masnisen, two words from the end of the line. Rabbi Shimon, I remember Rabbi Shimon says, There's no such thing, we, he does, Rabbi Shimon does not believe that a woman's merit can delay the punishment of the waters, right? We spent the last, you know, stop, you know, two dot like two dot from ago, we talked about at length about wh- how long the the punishment can be delayed and what merit might delay the punishment, right? But that was all according to the opinion of the Chachamim, where Rishon believes no merit can delay the punishment. Um, and he believed strongly that this is so because the If you say that merit delays the punishment, you're going to diminish the the authority of the water um, for a woman who drink, right? Because a woman might, you know, drink knowing that she's guilty. And when she sees she's not punished, she won't realize it's because of the merit she has. She'll just think that the waters don't work. Additionally, um, and you're also going to cast aspersions. You're going to cast a bad name on innocent women who drink. Why? Because people are going to say, even though they survived, the water, even though they survived the ordeal, they're really impure. They really committed adultery. I don't know if the telephone had schluss, but oh, they probably just had a schluss which delayed the punishment, right? So just kind of having this kind of um, loophole, right? This merit which can delay the punishment really, really ruins um, the point of the process, which is to deter adultery and to um, clear the name of innocent women, right? Rabbi Imer, Rabbi said, he says, no, the school does, a merit does delay the merit of the waters. So how do you solve these issues, right? These are, we're showing really, uh, raise some good points, right? So what's the solution? So solution is um, a merit, the only thing that the merit does is that it prevents the woman from dying. But the ina yaletis, the ina shabachas, ela misnab nevahalachas. Right, So what happens is, is that the woman doesn't get all the brachas, all the blessings that come to an innocent woman. She doesn't give birth to children and she, her health does not improve, but rather her health continues to deteriorate over a longer period of time until she eventually dies. Right, So it is clear after she drinks that she's guilty. It's just that her merit prevents her from immediate death. Nitme. So now, okay, so now we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, and we're going to describe the halakha pertaining to the 
mincha offering, the carbon mincha, which the Sanjit brings. If her mincha becomes impure for whatever reason, an impure person touched it, touched an impure object, right? Um, that is an issue, right? Just as a side point, right? Um, anything that is proclaimed as a carbon, right? So an animal that says it is a carbon, flower that is set aside for a carbon offering, right? In this case, um, it becomes holy, right? Once it's designated as a carbon. Now, if it becomes impure, if it becomes tame, something tame can't be offered at the base mikdash, right? So you got to get rid of it and you got to bring a new carbon. You got to bring new flower. Now the question is, what happens to this tame flower? Do you have to throw it out? Right, you can't offer it in the mizbeach, but since it's holy, you also can't offer, you can't use it for ordinary purposes, right? Once it's holy, you can't just use the flour in your bread. You gotta, right? So what do you do? So there's two stages of kedusha of sanctification um, that can occur um, when when consecrating a carbon. So the first. Um, the first level, the first stage is called Kedusha Damim, right? That's sanctifying the value of a given thing. So let's say I take, right, a measure of flour, I set it aside and I say, okay, this is for a mincha offering. Now there's something called Kedusha Damim, the monetary value is sanctified, which means, and um, which means that if this flour now becomes tame, um, I have a solution, right? Um, I need to set aside a different flower, which is pure for a carbon. Now, what do I do with this impure flower? I can simply redeem it. I can take the amount of money that's equivalent to the flower and use that money to buy new flour. And now this tummy flower is now ordinary flour. I can use it in my bread, right? However, there's a second stage of Kedusha, which is when I take that flour and then I place it into a klisharis, into a vessel in the base of Mekdash. Now there's something called Kedusha's Haguf, right? The actual flour itself becomes holy. It's not just the monetary value of the flour, um, but the actual flour itself becomes holy. So now I am, I no longer have the option of redeeming the flour and taking the monetary value of the flour um, and using it for a carbon once if it becomes impure, right? Now, the actual thing is holy. There's nothing I can do about it. So if it becomes impure, it must be burnt. Okay, so that's just the background for the halachas we're going to learn right now. So if her mincha becomes impure, I feel like kitchivikli, if it has not yet been sanctified in a vessel in the base of mikdash, it's like all other karbanais mincha, and it can be redeemed. You can take the amount of money that is equivalent to the flour and transfer the kadusha from the flour to the money. And now you're good. You can use your flour and your bread and that money to buy a new carbon. The image to but if you already placed and sanctified that flour by placing it into a vessel in the base of Mikdash, like all other carbon and and it must be burnt. Um, in the pile where all other disqualified carbonites are burnt, right? Not on the Mizbeah, it can't be offered on the Mizbeah. It's burnt in a special place where all disqualified carbonites are burnt. The Eilu typically say this first. So now the Mishnah is going to list a whole bunch of other scenarios where the Mincha, uh, the Saita, cannot be offered for whatever reason, but, you know, it has already been sanctified, right? It's already holy, so it needs to be burnt. Right. These are the things. So, Chimera is Tamei Anila, right? A woman who says, 
uh, to her husband, I'm impurity, I'm forbidden to you, meaning I committed adultery, right? So at that point, we no longer offer the cover milk up because we don't need to do the sites of process, right? We already know for sure what happened, um, but it's already been sanctified, right? So we we burn it. Also, if um, witnesses come into the base of Mekdash and, and testify that she committed adultery, if she says, I don't want to drink, right? Um, parenthetically, this is before, right? We discussed at length before, uh, you know, when we make her drink, when we don't make her drink, right? So for see earlier, Dauphin, for a whole discussion of that. Um, but under many circumstances, if she says, um, I don't want to drink, then we listen to her and we just burn the car in the cloud and we let her go home. Um, also, if her husband doesn't want to give her to drink, uh, or if we discover that her husband um, slept with her and was intimate with her on the way to the base of Mekdash. And in that case, we also do not perform the sites of process. Um, and all women who are married to Kahanim, their carbonites are burnt. Um, meaning they're burnt completely. Okay, so what's the meaning of this phrase? We'll just like back up for a second. Um, there's a lot that we discussed at length earlier. The way a carbonate works is you have this flour mixture, right? Um, and then the Kaihan takes a fistful of that flour mixture, offers that fistful on the back, and then the leftovers get eaten by the Kaihanit. Right? So there's the Kaimits, the fistful offered on the back, and the Shirayim, the leftovers eaten by the Kaihanit. Now, that those are the rules for a Karmenta offered by a regular Levi or Yisrael. If a Kaihan brings a Karmenta, we learn from a Pasuk that a Kaihan's Karmenta is burnt completely on the Mizbeah. Right, it's the leftovers are not eaten. You just take the whole karmica; it's completely burnt. Now the question is, what if um, a woman is married to a kain? Right. So this woman, right. So this karma, we're kind of not sure what to do with the mincha, right? Because on the one hand, she owns the woman is bringing it, right. And this rule that the entire mincha is burnt only applies to a male kain. So this woman's bringing it. So her karma and only a fistful should be burnt. But also her husband's money, right, presumably was used to buy this carpet. So it's partially her husband's, right? So anyways, the Gemara is informing us that an Isha Saitas, um, an Isha Saitas, carbon, uh, if she is married to a kind, it is burnt completely. Okay, so now, so now the the mission is going to explain. Right, so a a, a Yisrael, right, a Jewish woman who's Yisrael, right, not a, a Bas Kain, who marries a Kain, her mincha is burnt completely. A Kahanes, Shnisus Yisrael, mincha na'achelis. A Kahanes, right, the daughter of a Kain who's married to Yisrael. Her mincha is eaten, right? The leftovers of the mincha are eaten by the kahanim. Um, right? Even though this woman is a kahanis, right? She's the daughter of a kain, um, it doesn't matter, right? Her her the her kain is her mincha is still the leftovers are still eaten. Uh, the mission is now going to list a bunch of differences that there are between male kahanim and female kahanim. Ma ben what are the halachic, some of the halachic differences between male and female kahanim? 
Minchas Kahanas Nech. Now that's the leftovers of the Karma Mincha of a female Kahan, meaning the daughter of a Kahan, right, is eaten. Uminchas Kahan in an Achilles, but the Mincha of a male Kahan is not eaten, right, meaning the leftovers are not eaten. It's all part of the Messiah. Kahanas Mishalas. A Kahanas, the daughter of a Kahan, has the potential to be permanently disqualified, right? So just to review, right, the of the daughter of a Kohen um, has a few privileges, right? Um, she's able to eat truma. She's able to eat certain carbonates, right? She loses those privileges if she marries someone that is forbidden to her, right? So uh, meaning, you know, someone who's a forbidden relationship, right? So if she's in a forbidden relationship, she becomes per- permanently you know, loses her Kayan status. But Kayan ain't a miskalel. Um, the same is not true for a Kayan. A Kayan does not become permanently disqualified. If a Kayan marries someone he's not allowed to marry, so for example, he marries a divorcee, right? While he is married to the divorcee, he loses his rights as a Kayan, but if he divorces his wife, he reverts back to his Kayan status. So he never permanently loses his Kayan status. A female kohen can become impure for a dead body. But a kohen cannot become impure for a dead body. Um, a kohen can eat um, our carbonites, which are of the most holy degree. A kohen cannot eat uh, those carbonites of the most holy degree. In general, briefly, there are two categories of carbonites. There's kache kadashim, right, the most holy um, so those include the Karbakatas and Asham and Mincha, right? Um, and then there is something called Kadashim Kalim, right? Um, Karbanites of, you know, a lower degree of sanctity. Um, and these Kadash, these Karbanites, um, female Kohanim can also eat a portion of. Mabin Ishla Isha. Um, so now that this is going to list kind of <laughs> on a like tangentially related topic, um, what, what are the differences in general between men and women? What are some differences between men and women? This is obviously not an exhaustive list. Um, it's just going to give a partial list of some interesting halakhic differences between men and women. Each a man who is a Mitzayra, when he leaves um, the city, he needs to sit outside the city, and he needs to let his hair grow wild and tear his clothes. The Anna is harassed but a woman does not do the same. She does not let her hair grow wild and does not tear her clothes. A man can um, make, kind of impose a Nazarite vow on his son. Um, but a woman cannot do the same. She cannot impose a Nazarite vow on her son. Um, a man can um, shave with the animals um, dedicated for a carbon by his father, or rather with the money dedicated by his father um, for buying carbonized nazir, right? So just briefly, um, the at the conclusion of a Nazir's period of Naziris, right? When he, you know, a Nazir will say, I'm gonna be a Nazir for like a year, right? So at the end of the year, he there's a whole process he needs to go through to go to the base of Mikdash, he needs to shape, and there's certain carbonites that he needs to bring. And the halakha is that if one um Nazir sort of sets aside money to buy carbonites, 
for the end of his Nazir period, um, that money has a certain kadusha, has a certain sanctity to it, right? And he needs to use it for that purpose. Now, let's say that Nazir dies, right? The halacha is nobody else can use that money. Even if there's another Nazir who needs to bring his karbanites at the end of his term, it doesn't matter. He cannot use that Nazir. That money is designated and can only be used for the karbanites of that Nazir alone. The exception is a son. A son who is a Nazir, right? Let's say a, a person's father, right, was a Nazir. And his father, you know, at the end of set aside money to buy karbanites for the end of his Nazirist period and his father died. If the son is a Nazir, the son can use that money his father set aside. Right. So one exception to the rule. So a man can sh- bring the karbanis, which is brought together with his shaving at the base of Ektash, um, with the money set aside by his father, who was a nazir, the Aina Isha Megala, but the woman cannot do the same. Okay, so some more differences. A man can betroth his daughter uh, to another man. But a woman cannot betroth her daughter. Uh, this is just parenthetically, this is only Minhatara. Amidirabanan, the Hakam instituted that for the benefit of the woman, um, just, you know, in the society at that time, it would be beneficial for a girl to, you know, if an orphan girl had no way of being betrothed, that would be not beneficial to her. So the Hakam instituted that um, a woman or a brother. Uh, can you just perform the same role? Okay, and parentheses. Um, a man can sell his daughter as an ama ivria, right? Uh, the special category of, you know, of evan ivri. Um, but a, a woman cannot sell her daughter. A man is stoned, unclothed. Um, we discussed this at length actually earlier in the Masechta, but this is done really to um, minimize the pain, right? Um, that of uh, stoning, um, because the idea is that more clothing would like would prolong the the pain. But in Asian Aroma, a woman is not clothed, is not stoned naked, right? She is she's stoned with a thin garment on her um, for her dignity. Right. Again, we discussed that length earlier. The, the presumption was that it would be worse for the woman, right, to, to suffer that indignity of being stoned unclothed. Um, uh, a man is hung um, after being stoned. A man's body, that criminal man's body, is hung publicly. But a woman's body is not hung, again, to preserve her dignity. A man who steals money and can't pay back is sold in order to pay back his debt. A woman is not sold to pay back her debt. Yeah, just a note, like you said before, um, you know, this is not obviously an exhaustive list of all the halakha differences between men and women. And the Tesefta actually fills in the blanks um, of what's missing. Um, you know, you know the, the most obvious one is Mitzvah Sati Shazaman Grama, right? There's all these mitzvahs which women are exempt from and, and men are obligated in. Um, there's also, you know, like the, the mitzvah of, of not... Um, of keeping the payas and the beard obviously is not applicable to women. So there's obviously other examples of, um, of differences, health differences between men and women um, that are not necessarily mentioned here. 
Right. So do not extrapolate from here <laughs> for your own. <laughs> There's no. Like we said before, right? Or as we were saying, do not pass in halacha out of a mishnah. So, right. <laughs> example. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> okay. All right. Tana Rabbanan, call the students the kahuna and chesayan So, anyone who's married to a kaihen, um, their their flower offerings are burnt. Right. So we said before. Um, right. Again, if, if a regular Jew brings a karu mincha, the leftovers are eaten. If it's a kayan who brings the karu mincha, the entire mincha is burnt. Now we have this sort of like problem. What do you do if it's a woman who is married to a kayan? Right. So we're like, okay, it's a woman's um, karban, which is always eaten. The leftovers are always eaten, but she's married to a kayan and her husband's money, um, at least, you know, was the what money which owns the carbon right so his money was bought the carbon so how do we treat it do we treat it like the carbon of a kind or the carbon of a uh, regular person right um so that is it's mr price it's burnt right like the carbon of a kind okay so, so let's what does this you know how does this work let's give some more details so this is like any woman a kind olivia israelis that marries a kind the mincha is not eaten because uh, the leftovers are eaten because he, her husband, has a who is a kayan, has a portion in it. But you also can't just say, well, let's just burn it completely just the same way that a kayan's mincha is because she has a portion in it, right? It's her karma. So what do you do? How do you solve this issue? You offer the fistful, you take the fistful and offer it on its own, and then you take the leftovers and offer that on its own, as opposed to a kain's mincha, which would just be burnt completely altogether, right? Um, so we do kind of like a, a mix-up <laughs> of the two. With this woman's mincha, we, first we just take the fistful, like an ordinary carbon, and burn it, and then we burn the rest rather than eating it. So we're asking a question. Wait a second. Ikrikan, we should really apply a halacha here. The halacha says, Whenever you have a carbon, we learn this, we darsh, without getting into too many details, we darsh in this halacha from the pasuk, which uses the word mimenu. Um, and it says, um, I'll just read the whole pasuk quickly, just for some clarity, right? It says, um, and we darshan from here that um, anything you you couldn't anything which is a leftovers of the carbon like if you have any mixture where part of it was offered on the mizbeach you shouldn't offer the leftovers onto the mizbeach right it's like disrespectful right? you shouldn't offer the leftovers of a carbon once part of it has been offered you shouldn't offer the rest of it on the mizbeach right so how can we do this? How can we take a fistful of the mincha and burn that? And then afterwards, burn the leftovers, right? You're not allowed to burn leftovers. That's an iser called Baltatiru, right? So Amar Behuda, Breder Shimon Ben Pazi, Sir Behuda, the son of Rabbi Shimon Ben Pazi said, um, What they do is they put the leftovers on the Mizbech and they burn it for the sake of firewood. So meaning the the kaihin kind of puts it on the mizbeach and says, it kind of makes a condition. This is the way Rashi kind of formulates it. Um, he says a condition, like if this mincha, you know, I mean, because basically the problem is we're just not sure how to look at this, 
how to look at this Karmincha. So the Kayin says, if the we're supposed to look at this Mincha as the Mincha of a Kayin, then it should be burnt. But if we're supposed to look at this Mincha as the Mincha of an ordinary Israel, then let this just be consumed like firewood. It's like fuel. It's not really offered as a carbon, right? Um, and this is in accordance with Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer, the Tanya, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer said, So the Rabbi Eliezer says, actually, in a different context, but this will be applied here, that you can't offer leftovers for the sake of of a pleasing aroma, like for the sake of bringing a carbon. But there's no problem with putting leftovers in the Mizbeach um, as fuel, right? So the Gemara says, great. That's a great answer, according to Rabbi Lazar, who, you know, holds of this halacha. But if you look at the, the Gemara there, Right, the Gemara and Menachas, we there's actually a Machlekes. Rabbi Eliezer is a Dasyachet. He's a lone opinion which says this, right? The Chachamim there actually disagree. The majority of the Chachamim disagree. The Rabban and Delaislehu Hai Savra, Michael and Maymar, right? According to those who disagree with him, you know, how can you solve this issue? So the answer is Dabilhu Kirbilazabarashiman. It must be they believe. They rule in accordance with Rabbi Lezer and Shimon. Um, so, the Tanya, we learned that by Rabbi Lezer and Shimon, and Rabbi Lezer and Shimon said, Hakaimates Karabasmai, Bashirai, Mispavra, Beta Sedation. Right? Um, this is in a different context, actually. It's a context of a Kaihane who brings a, a flower offering um, because of a carbon. I love it. All right, right. So, not getting into too many details. There's a machlekes about this particular type of carbon, about whether the cayenne needs to, um, whether it needs to be burnt completely or not, right? So, Rilezer said that um, in this for this type of carbon, the the fistful needs to be offered on its own, and the leftovers should also be should be um, scattered on the ash heap. Um, right, and we see there that the Chachamim there disagree with Rabbi Elazar ben Rishon, but like the Chachamim there they disagree with Rabbi Elazar ben because the context over there was talking about um, a flower offering brought for um, it's called a minchas chayte, right? Brought because of a chayt, because of a sin uh, that a kain brings, um, but devas hakravahim. Because according to the Chachamim over there, um, they believe that in that case, um, the the entire mincha should be burnt, like the regular mincha of a kain. But the Chachamim would agree that in this case, in the case of a of a woman who's married to a kain, they would agree that you can have this kind of half-half situation where you take a fistful, you burn it on the mezbah, and the rest of it scattered on the base hadesh and on the ash keep okay now we're going to go through the different um the differences between we're kind of go through all the halakhas that we're listening to this mishnah and give proofs for them okay okay uh we learned the mishnah boss israel had a suah of a chulil right uh boss israel who's buried to a kayan her mecha is burnt 
And again, she's married to a, uh, a Jew, a Israel. Her mincha is, is eaten. So my time out, what's the reason? Um, why is a Kahanis who's married to uh, uh, Israel? Why is her why is her carbon mincha eaten completely? Right, she's a Kahanis, right? So we say It says the flower offering of a kain should be burnt completely. It should not be eaten. Kain will like a henis. That halacha applies only to a kain, but not to a kahenis, right? So therefore, a kahenis is mincha is treated the same way as a yisrael, right? Um, and it therefore is always eaten. So it's interesting because it, it, this seems to imply that whenever we have the word kain in a pasuk, kain is exclusively male, um, and it doesn't. It's not just a generic term to refer to both male and female kahanim. Um, so this question is actually raised in 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 Hulin, um, that that we see other places in the Torah that the word kain is used as a generic term to also include a kaihenes. Um So there in that Gemara, the Ula, the pain of Ula is that um, the reason why in this specifically in this in, in the Mishnah here we're saying that it doesn't apply to a kaihenes is because in the context of the psukim, right? A few psukim earlier, we see the words um Arain Uvanov, right? That it's that this whole discussion is referring to Arin and his sons, specifically and not his daughters. Um, and therefore because of the context, that's why we're interpreting the word kain specifically to refer to only male kahanim. But it doesn't mean that anytime we see the word kain it means exclusively male kahanim. It can be a generic term to refer to both male and female. Um, and then another explanation for why this, why specifically in this case we interpret the word kayan that way is that this whole parsha in the Torah is 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 talking about a kayan, right? So like it seems sort of superfluous to add the word kayan in the in the pasuk. Um, it would like it's sort of obvious that we're talking about a kayan. So the fact that it adds the word kayan is teaching us that it's trying to tell us that it means specifically a male kayan and not a female kayan, but. In another context, if they used the word kain and it was necessary to include that word, then we wouldn't necessarily interpret it that way, right? We would interpret it more as a generic term to refer to both um, to both male and female. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Great. It's always confusing, I guess, right? But so many words like that, right? Yeah. Where, like, you know, the gender neutral and the male are the same in Hebrew, so. Right. So this con- yeah. con- context is, is how we know. dependent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're going to keep going through the different differences between male and female. So, right? A female kain can become permanently disqualified from her, you know, kain status. Uh, but the same is not true of a kain. So, Manalan, how do we know this? the Pesach says, So, the simple meaning of this Pesach is a, it's an instruction, right? A kain should not desecrate his seed, right? By burying someone who's inappropriate for him. Um, so the, the Pasuk, so we, we darshan from this Pasuk, Zare Mithalel, a person, uh, if a Kayin marries, let's say a divorcee, he disqualifies his children, right? His children are no longer Kayin, but the who but he himself cannot become disqualified. His Zare Mithalel, right? His, his children become disqualified, but he himself cannot become permanently unkind. Um, and here too, Right, we're clearly talking about a male kahane, right? Because it's, it's the context is, um, you know, uh, male kahane not being able to marry, you know, certain women. Kahane is the stomach, right? So that a kahane is able to be, to come in pure for a dead body. 
Um, but a cayenne is forbidden to do so. So my time, how do we know this? Damar Kral, the Pesach says, Amar al-Kahanim b'nei Arain, right? Tell the Kahanim, the sons of Arain. The conclusion of the Pesach is speaking about the prohibition against becoming Tame for a dead body. B'nei Arain, b'nei b'nei Arain, right? B'nei Arain, sons of Arain, not the daughters of Arain. Right. Uh, another next difference is that a kayan can eat the, you know, carbonized of the highest grade of Kedusha, whereas a kahanas cannot, right? She can only eat the lower grade called Kadashim Kalin. So, how do we know this? All males of the sons of Aaron should eat it, right? So, that plus is actually pretty clear. <laughs> it doesn't require so much. Darjuning, it says straight up every male. Excluding the females. Um, okay, so now we're going to move on to the general differences between halakhic differences between men and women. Mumabe and Ishkulu. Right, so we're going to focus now on the um, halakha, the requirement uh, for a man who's a Mitzayra to grow his hair wild and to tear his clothes. So it's Hanara Banara, Sage is the top. Um, so I'm just gonna read the whole book. It says the Pesach says, East Sarua Hu Tamaihu, right? Um, so that a, a man who is afflicted with Saras is impure, or rather, you could say a person, sorry, rather, a person who is afflicted with Saras is impure. So, Ainli Ala Ish. So, from this Pesach, I might think that only a man is included. So, Ish of nine, how do we know uh, that a woman is included? Uh, because the following Pusik says, because you remember when it says in the following Pusik, and anyone who ha- it says again, anyone who is afflicted with Saras should do dot dot dot. So it repeats the word Sarua, right? That is, you know, a double language, which indicates two, a dual meaning here, which means that the Halakas of Saras apply to two categories of people, both men and women. Okay, ish. So therefore, so if that's so, why does it use the word ish, which indicates a man, a male? Um, Angelamata. Right? So it's saying the word ish, right? The word the saras applies to both men and women, but the word ish is saying that um certain halakhas only apply to men. And what are those halakhas? Inchlamata, the halakhas which are stated in the next classic, each parahulu, which in the next classic it talks about the requirement for the hair to be grown long and the clothes to be torn. Okay, next. Um, a man can impose an, a Nazarite vow on his son, but a woman cannot impose a Nazarite vow on her son. When we say this, we mean that like when the child is, you know, a baby, uh, like a katan, right? The daughter, the, the, um, the father can kind of impose a Nazir, make his son a Nazir, even when he's still very young, um, and that vow becomes binding on his son, right? Even though his son is too young to make it himself. So a father can do that, but the mother cannot. Oh, just uh, about this. Yeah. Um, th- th- this, yeah, this, we, we know the, the famous story of Hannah, right? The Hannah consecrated her, her son Shmuel as a Nazir, 
right? Um, so how was she allowed to do that, right? It seems here like the a mother would not be allowed to do that. So the, the commentaries give a bunch of explanations. A lot of them try to say that, you know, she wasn't really the one making the nether. She sort of said it, but, you know, for example, Kuyaka says that when she when she made this nether, Alcana was silent, and his silence was sort of like agreement. Um, so it was as if he himself made the nether, right? Or some people say that Alcana did say something in response that sort of confirmed his... Um, his agreement, um, and therefore the netter was really coming from him uh, as a father. Um, but another explanation I saw from the Chida is that Hana was a Navia, and in general, a Navi has the power to to make someone a Nazir. Um, so besides for just uh, as a pair, as a father, but her her position as a Navia is what gave her that that power um, to do that. Mm. Wow, so like special special dispensation. Yeah, also just one more thing. Like the the I saw like the halakhically the reason why one explanation for why um, only a father can do it and not a, can can make their child a nazir and not a mother has to do with the the chiyav of chinuch, right? That a father specifically has the chiyav to um, be machanaka son, while a mother um, does not. So that's sort of why she shouldn't have that same um, that same capacity. Mm, okay. Um, so that's that's with Nazir and uh, Rabbi Yochanan informs us. So how do we know this, right? So like, what, where is, is there, where's the source in the pasta for this distinction between men and women? We're meaning that's that's a nice reason, but like, right up, generally the reason comes after, right? The source either in Pesukim or tradition. So Rabbi Yochanan says halacha he Nazir. It's simply there's no source for this in the pasta. It is halacha lemaishemistinai, right? Which is refers to a, a category of halacha where it was halacha that was, trans, it's deraisa, right? It's transmitted, it was given to Maishat Harsinai, but it was transmitted orally exclusively, right? And there's no um, source for it in the Pesukim. So he said that a man can kind of use the money his father set aside for carbonized Nazir, but a woman cannot do the same. A woman can be a Nazir, right? Um, it says actually straight in the Pasuk, Isha, Isha, right? A woman can clearly be a Nazir, but she cannot um, use the money her father set aside. Um, so how do we know this? This also is a halacha of Sinai, a halacha that was transmitted orally. There is no source in the psukim. Right, a man has the capacity to betroth betroth his daughter. Well, one cannot betroth her daughter. Um, um, so it's a pasuk in Devarim. Right. Um, and the Pesach says it describes, you know, a court case. Um, and in the in the context of the case, the father says, that I gave my daughter to this man. Right. And it's the father talking. And so for the fact that the Pesach says the father said that that means that the father is the one who has the power to patrol with his daughter. A man can sell his daughter, a woman cannot sell her daughter. Dechsev, as it says, it's just straight up in the Pesachim, which describes the laws of an Amma Ivriya. Right? If a man sells his daughter, so it's clearly a man, not a woman. A man is clothed naked. My time, what's the reason? Baragmu Aisai says they should stone him. My Aisai. Why? Why is it? What's what's the meaning of the word? I say, even Elama, I say, well, I said, maybe it means you have to stone him 
right? You stone a male, but not her. You you don't stone a female. A female is never stoned. So that can't be. There's a clear pusik which describes taking a man or a woman and stoning them. It's in the comics of the Zara, actually. Um, Allah, so it must, it can't, that can't be the meaning of the word Isai. Allah, Isai, but like Susai, but like Isai, but like Susa. The word Isai is teaching us you stone him, a man, him alone without his clothes, but you don't stone a woman like naked without her clothes. Okay, then, moving forward. So, each Ditzla, the in Hulu, right? A man is hung, the, cor- the corpse of a man who's been executed is hung publicly, but a woman's um, corpse is not. My time, what's the reason? How do we know, like, what's the source for this in the Pasuk? Damar Krav, at least the Isai and Elias, you should hang him on the tree. Isai, but I saw him and not her. Right, a man is sold in order to pay off his debt. Um, that he can't pay because he stole, but a woman is not sold because she stole. My taima was the reason Damarkra with Nimkar Bignevasa. He should be sold because of what he stole. Bignevasai because of his theft, but not because of her theft, because a woman, if a woman has stolen. Again, when we say because she stole, it doesn't mean a thief is always sold. It just means if someone steals and they don't have money to pay back, then they're sold instead, right? And that only happens for a man and not for a woman. Okay, that ends the third parak. All right, thank you so much for listening. We are looking forward to starting a new parak next time.